Welcome to episode 289 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Wednesday, 22nd of December, 2021. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA. Jensen USA, where you will find a great selection of products at unbeatable prices with unparalleled customer service. Check them out at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast, and of course, I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast since 2006. For show notes, links, and other information, check out our website at www.the-spokesman.com. And now, here's my fellow host and producer, Carlton Reed and The Spokesman. Thanks, David. And yes, I'm Carlton Reed. And on today's show, I'm talking with bike entrepreneur Andrew Phillips, who rides and races with his own products. Earlier this year, he was the winner of the Two Volcano Sprint, an ultra-endurance cycling race which started in Sicily and over two and a half days of hard riding involved ascents of Mount Etna and Mount Vesuvius. He won that race riding his own brand of extra-strong carbon wheels. He also founded an LED bike light brand with the USP that the long-running front and rear lights stay attached to the bike. His first foray into the world of bike products was the Orb, a bike bottle with integrated LEDs, making the bidon glow or flash for side-on visibility. Here's our chat. Today I want to talk about your bike product. Yep. And you have got quite a few bike products uh, over a number of years. But first of all, I'd, I'd like to to congratulate you, of course, on, on, on winning uh, the two sprints between two volcanoes. Um, and you used your products for uh, uh, that race. So first of all, let, let's, let's talk about what is that race? Where is it? And which, which two volcanoes does it go between? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's a race that's in its third year now. Um, and it runs between uh, Vesuvius in, um, or on, on the outskirts of Naples in, in southern Italy and Mount Etna. Um, which is, of course, on Sicily. Um, and normally it runs that way around from Vesuvius to Etna. Uh, this year it was flipped, so it came the other way, started in Etna or started at the foot of Etna, climbed Etna twice, and then uh, finished by climbing Vesuvius and the finish line was at the bottom bottom of Vesuvius. And just in case anybody thinks, oh, that's a nice warm uh, trip you had there in you know beautiful sunshine, there might have been sunshine, but it's quite cold, wasn't it? You, you, you were, yeah. The blog post you wrote was, was talking about freezing fingers and all sorts. So, think, so tell us about that. I think people uh, people hear southern Italy and they assume sort of Riviera um, in the summer weather and uh, you know beautiful flat um, flat coastlines and things like that. But actually, um, it's the third year I've ridden the race and it's been cold every year. Um, I always get wet through, uh, and if you're not if you're not ready for it, you can uh, you can find yourself somewhere very remote and very cold. 
Hmm. So how, how what's the distance between the two volcanoes? This year, the race was about 1,200 kilometers. Uh, it, it varies from about 1,100 to about 1,200, uh, that, that sort of distance. But what makes it a really um, particularly tough race is the amount of climbing in that so i think there's about 20 it was either 24 or 26,000 meters of climbing over 1200k this year this is like the transcontinental which i'm sure more people are probably familiar with in that you're self-supported you've got your own kit and 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 you choose whether to sleep or or not sleep by the side of the road or or on a, on a hotel. So you, you basically got your own kit, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's a it's a single set single stage self supported race, uh, which means when the when the clock starts at the start line uh, to when it stops at the finish line, you're on your own, and any moment you're not uh, on in the saddle pedaling, uh, you're you're losing time essentially. So. Uh, yeah, you, the the aim. If you want to try and win a race like this, you've got to you've got to sleep as little as you can get away with. You've got to um, minimize all those stops for getting food, for going to the toilet, for you know absolutely anything. Uh, so I think after um, at, at the end of the race, I've been riding something like ninety percent of the time in the saddle, legs turning. And then other people may think, oh, I'd, I'd actually. I'll perform better if actually a bit more sleep. So it's just each rider is going to be they 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 look at this and think I'm probably going to perform better if I do this. Is or do you all roughly have the same sleep patterns? What do you think? No, do other riders compared to you? I think I think I think there's a real range actually, um, and you definitely do go faster um, if you sleep a bit more. You start you start getting inefficient when you when you uh, are really sleep deprived. You start making bad decisions. So there's a there's a really fine balance to be had, and and particularly in the longer races, um, your uh, your sort of sleep strategy is is almost as crucial, I think, uh, as your fitness or your route planning. Although two volcano sprint is a is a fixed route, unlike transcontinental. Oh, um, oh you've got to go on the same road. You really have got. You're not choosing your yeah your your route exactly um totally fixed route uh so you're you're following the uh following the gpx file on your um on your gps the whole way um which you know there there are pros and cons of both uh the the best thing i think about fixed route races is you don't end up having to make any decisions about safety versus speed uh so the the big problem of um the big problem of routes that aren't um, aren't fixed route is you know you end up looking at an a road or equivalent and saying okay well if i go down there you know i'm going to save 20 minutes or whatever but you know there's going to be a lot more traffic and it's potentially more dangerous and all these other things come into play so purely fixed routes can can take that away entirely but they also take away um what one of the skills uh for a uh, for a free routed race is is the routing itself the mapping skills and the preparation required because you're you're going to be doing the transcontinental aren't you this next year uh, is that what one of your plans yeah i am that's right i've been i've been trying to ride the transcontinental for uh for about four years now three four years um i first applied in uh in 2018 uh, and I didn't get a place because it's, it's massively oversubscribed um, and, and a bit of a lottery. So uh, 
that that was actually 2019 I volunteered at, at the race and then that was the year that I rode uh two volcano sprint for the first time um sort of you know looking for something else to something else to ride as I as I couldn't do TCR I didn't realize what a sort of what a big annual part of my uh annual part of my life it would become um but yeah finally this year so I didn't get in first year and then two years of being cancelled with the pandemic um finally 2022, yes, I'm going to ride Transcontinental. As is my son, of course, Josh is going to be riding that. So he's... he's oh, really? Yes, he's kind of uh, looking at that route now in uh, a bit more more detail. And it is, it is, you, you have got to... I mean, it does sound quite worrying that, you you know, you, you're obviously going to choose A-Rose for a lot of the time if that's going to be the quickest way of doing it. And you even get... you dragged along a bit, don't you, with... Uh, with uh, windstreaming and traffic and stuff, but that's not going to be the safest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the skills I think for the race organisers, um, and I know Anna Hazlock, who, who organises Transcontinental, is is very good at doing this and, and very keen to do it. Um, but one of the skills organising TCR is to place those checkpoints in a way that discourages um, using larger roads uh, and. Actually, some roads, um, such as E-roads in Romania, are are banned. Um, but for the most part, uh, you, you've got totally free choice. But but by putting those checkpoints, um, so, so the first one uh, for 2022 is in um, is in Czech Republic, uh, and then next you're going to Paso Gavia in the Alps. And actually, you you sort of you look at the um, you look at the uh, the route between those two. And for the most part, um, you're you're not really incentivized to take any to take any particularly big roads. So I, I think she's done a really good job on that this year. Actually, let's go back to the two volcano sprint, which, as I said before, you you won this year at your 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 third attempt. But you didn't from reading your blog post, you, you didn't really prepare in, in perhaps the way that people would think. Like, oh, let's let's do some um, big training. You almost trained on the ride itself. <laughs> so tell us because you got married you got married the month beforehand and 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 that's gonna clearly uh dent your training schedule so so did the fact that you didn't prepare actually help you <laughs> well um so so yeah firstly yes that's that's right uh after so it was, it was another another pandemic delayed uh delayed wedding Ruth and I finally got got married this year um but to say that I was unprepared isn't isn't quite right because i i spend a lot of time on my bike and i i'd spent a bit less time than normal on my bike over the wedding and over over our honeymoon um but you know i was still getting out almost every day uh but yeah i then i then i think that kind of left me rested mentally possibly more than physically well enough that um in the three weeks before the race, I, I had a really, really intensive training period um, and uh, found some found some real form in that in that short time. But it was sort of you know it's backed up by the fact that I've been riding every day basically for the last sort of uh, two three years or so. Where am I speaking to you from? Where are you Where are you based, Andrew? At the moment, I'm in southern Italy, um, and we we spend most of our uh, most of our time here um sometimes to be found back in london as well um but uh one of the one of the reasons we moved here actually to to 
get out of London, get away, change of scene was um, was how good the cycling is around here. Um, the the small roads and the hills and and um, the weather as well make it a really perfect training ground. Brexit is that a nasty word? <laughs> how are you coping with with uh, Lima across there and and. Well, well, I'm assuming you're a, a UK passport holder. Brexit is a nasty word to me, yes, um, but uh, but it's not actually had a massive uh, impact on on the way we live because um, because we're both resident here. So yeah, I've, I've got I'm, I'm a British passport here. I'm not an Italian citizen, but I am an Italian resident. Um, Actually, the the main impact Brexit uh, has had has been on my businesses. It makes it much much harder to uh, mm. sell into the EU, which will come as no surprise to you. And then, when we first started talking, and and you you got in touch, you, you're basically saying one of the benefits of of you living in that part of the world uh, and being able to take you know night trains and ferries and stuff uh, to the start of the 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 two volcano sprint it meant you didn't have to have any flights so other people are coming in on flights and and also worries with their you know their bikes being broken on those flights and of course with with you taking trains and ferries you didn't have that worry is that also a, a, a potential uh benefit to and how you did well this this year you didn't have the flights yeah absolutely um i think no one no one likes flying uh people um people people like getting where they're going um but uh yeah i i stopped flying a few years ago for environmental reasons um and although i live in southern italy still the easiest way for me to get to sicily or the cheapest way anyway for me to get to sicily for the for the start line this year would have been by taking a plane um but uh yeah i i I don't think anyone who uh anyone who travels by aeroplane really finds it a uh, a pleasant stress-free experience and especially when you're taking a bike with you um you know you're you're wondering whether it's going to be allowed on with the oversized baggage rules how much extra you're going to be charged whether they're going to break it when they're loading onto the plane you know whether it will arrive at all when you when you get to your destination all that kind of stuff and i think it really takes a lot out of you so although i arrived on the same day as pretty much all the other riders most of the other riders which was about about a day and a half before the race start uh i i'd had a night's sleep on on the ferry down from um down from naples to palermo uh really really good night's sleep there's nothing like a uh, there's nothing like a sort of gently humming boat to uh to make you nod off uh and then, uh, and then a really easy, really easy regional train on the other side. And I, I arrived in Nicolosi at the start line, um, just feeling incredibly serene, well rested, um, like I hadn't, you know, I, I hadn't had any travel stress. And, and more than that, I'd actually, um, I'd actually had a really nice, relaxing trip, you know, with, without having to be anywhere else or being able to be anywhere else. I could just sit and and gather all my energy for the next few days probably a parable for life there and 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 saving the world uh not not just uh, uh ultra races just maybe yeah. travel there in, in nicer ways yeah but it is you're right it's it's, it's expensive to 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 you know, take the right way of traveling is often four five six times more expensive than just flying there it's crackers it is it's it's awful um when when we travel to and from the uk um 
it's uh yeah it's it's always several times more expensive by train um and you know it takes longer and and all that kind of stuff uh at the same time we've got we've got sleeper services going bankrupt um there used to be a, a night train from paris to milan but that's just uh that's just gone under yet um yet we've got chancellors across europe subsidizing uh subsidizing short short haul flights uh it's it's a bit of a farcical situation right back to the two volcano kind of sprint then how many how many people how many riders are taking part in this race uh so it's capped at 100 riders um and i i think there are a few there are a few did not start so somewhere between 80 and 100 riders on the on the start line and you're all dot watching so you you know where everybody is on the road as, as well as people anybody you know any spectators watching you but you also know where people are on the road so yeah everyone's got satellite tracking um and you can check on your you can check on your phone where everyone is i tend not to um until it gets to the death rows anyway uh i I find that i'm in a much better headspace if i just ride my bike and and try and enjoy doing that i think you can you can become quite obsessed with the with the trackers if you're not careful and then I, mean, I did enjoy this bit in your blog where you, you, you talked about uh, your rivals at a, at a cafe and they flag you down and in effect you thumb your nose at them and say no I'm going to I'm going to crack on. I'm not going to have that pizza so so tell us about uh, your rivals and that particular stop and and, and why you carried on <laughs> um, so yeah this this was uh, this was about um, about. 30 36 hours into the race um when we'd probably covered i don't know maybe maybe 700 uh, k um and I, I knew i'd been i'd been sat in about fourth place for for quite a while i'd been chasing down these three guys all day and one of them i passed going up a climb um and and he was in uh he was in quite a bad way um he uh he'd run out of food quite a long quite a long time ago uh we had this we had this enormous sort of almost 24 hour period um where we didn't see a single open shop um there were a few opportunities to sort of grab a a cornetto which is the italian version of a uh of a croissant in uh in some open bars and things like that but for the most part you really had the food you had with you for that stretch um and i knew that was coming because i looked at the route and worked out what sort of times I was going to be there and so I I had a lot of sugary food with me so I was okay um but we sort of we came out of this um really sparse patch um and I'd I'd passed one rider so I was in third place and then I I finally found first and second um sitting uh in a cafe by the road waiting for some pasta to arrive and uh I, I saw them. I saw them as they they shouted at me. Andrew, Andrew, stop, stop! We've got uh, we've got more pasta than we can eat. Come have some. And I, I I'd stopped for a slice of pizza about about twenty minutes earlier, so I, I wasn't I wasn't hungry anyway. But uh, but it wasn't a particularly hard choice to make, even if I had been. I had I had the open road and, and the race lead in front of me, and I had my two my two other rivals. Uh, sat down so i knew if i pushed on at that point i could uh i could put a few minutes into them but that's always got to be a worry in that you know they're refueling yes you've cracked on which is good for your headspace but you're also you know 20 minutes previously one slice of pizza it must be nagging at your brain thinking is that actually enough if i just stop here and fill up and we all start again you know we would actually 
I suppose my son a better chance. So how does refueling, how does that play on your brain? So yeah, f- fueling is an absolutely vital part of, of endurance racing. Um, and, and yes, if you, if you get it wrong, then, uh, then yeah, you can really bonk. Um, you can, uh, you can lose a lot of time, but, um, I knew that I knew that I was in a good place. I hadn't, um, I hadn't run out of food unlike a lot of guys in that in that long stretch because I'd I'd planned and taken a lot with me uh when I'd stopped for my one slice of pizza I'd also stocked up um when I say when I say stocked up I'm I'm talking about I don't know 10 bags of Haribo something like that um so I've I've always got I've always got a bag of sweets in my in my back jersey pocket and they're just constantly going in so I'm eating I'm eating all the time um and, and the one thing that's that's hard to get that you really crave, you really miss, is proper savoury food. So you know, sitting down for a uh, sitting down for a bowl of pasta would have been more a more a mental win for me than a uh, than a physical one. It would have been it would have been lovely to have, but I, I knew I didn't um, I knew I didn't need the energy at that point because I'd I'd planned and I I had plenty with me. Now you don't you don't have to. To, to sleep a, a great deal you know you are yeah, as you said before you're trying to minimize that but when you do sleep and you want quality sleep and and, and perhaps you don't want to you know do the you know climb into a bivy bag in a in a bus shelter which i know you guys uh, do do but you go into a hotel how do you explain to a hotel that oh, i only want a room for like two hours <laughs> i'm sleeping and i'm going again how do you how do you kind of express and do they just go oh yeah okay we, we get this all the time or do they go do they take <laughs> take 10 minutes of explanation to, to get them to understand what you really want you, you get some you get some pretty uh pretty bizarre looks um when, when asking for for that kind of thing yeah uh especially when um so i i rang this i I found this hotel on Google Maps beforehand and rang it en route because you're not allowed to pre-book any of these places. Um, so I, I rang it whilst riding um, and said, uh, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be with you about nine nine thirty this evening. Uh, when I arrive, I want to pay, and then I want to be asleep in my room five minutes later. I, I would also like, and I, I know this is a big favor, and I'm sounding very pushy now, but I'd also like two sandwiches to be waiting in my room for me." Um, and then I'm going to be gone an hour later. Uh, and yes. Literally an hour. Literally. So literally you're going to sleep for an hour. Uh, yeah, I slept for 45 minutes. So I was maybe gone an hour and 10 minutes later or something. By the time I got in, oiled my chain, passed out, got up and gone again. So the hotels are going to be just, no, what the hell are you talking <laughs> about? Who are you? so is that what are the what is the reaction then to that yeah i mean i i think i think everyone's reaction at first when you say you want a hotel room for an hour is that you might have some uh you might have some nefarious uh nefarious reasons yes, so, so and you turn up by yourself <laughs> yeah exactly so uh it, it it's a bit of a test of my italian um to uh to explain it but for, fortunately I, I passed the test um it's going to be a lot harder in um in transcontinental uh I don't know any um, any Bosnian or, or uh, mm. any of those Balkan languages. So that's why it's just easier just to crawl into your sleeping bag than if you're just only sleeping for an hour than than going through that rigmarole. Yeah, there's there's a really sort of common debate whether um, yeah wh- whether it's easier, quicker, more efficient to to just sleep in a bivy bag or, or sleeping bag or, or by the road um, or get a hotel and. 
it's obviously as as you said earlier it's quality of sleep versus versus speed uh and for me if i want if i want pure speed i will just put my bike down by the side of the road lie down on the verge and sleep uh and you know i'll get i'll get 15 minutes or whatever it's not a lot it's not high quality sleep but i take it at the point where i'm so exhausted that it'll do um so so if i'm going for speed that's what i'll do if i want a bit more quality for me there's no point having the sort of the halfway house and you know it's a matter of preference lots of riders will disagree with me but for me personally there's no point in having the halfway house uh if i want quality sleep i'm going to get a hotel and and have a really short but good sleep and that hotel you booked were the two sandwiches waiting for you was everything to your satisfaction there were, there were two sandwiches waiting for me i had a i had a sort of three four minute delay um on on the payment front which which i was getting a bit frustrated about but actually they were they were very good um and it, it wasn't you know it wasn't a fancy place it was a it was a sort of 40 euros a night place uh somewhere in uh, remotest calabria um but but no they were they were really good it did exactly what i wanted and by the time i got up and left again um I was in second place, but I knew that the guy in front of me, who I who I then caught, Christian Englitz, um, who I caught within an hour, uh, I knew that he hadn't slept that night, and and I had the edge on him from from that point onwards. And then describe how you actually finished this, because you, you you've basically got to, got to you've got to ascend and then come down a bit, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. You. Uh, this this year anyway you rode straight past the finish line uh on the way up mount vesuvius uh knowing that you had you know a sort of 40 minute climb ahead of you to get to the top of the volcano and then come back down um so i think for some people it was a it was a bit of a wrench going going past the finish line um for me you know i i had my wife there um cheering me on and uh, and your dog, and 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 our dog, exactly. Uh, he was wondering why you're not stopping. Well, yeah, exactly. He he could not understand why I was uh, why I was cycling straight past. Um, it was the first time he'd seen me in a week or something, so he was sort of running in tight circles and jumping around and wanted to mob me. Uh, and it was it was a little bit heart wrenching to keep going, but um, you know you you don't want to stop and put your foot down because. Uh, Every every second you do that's going to make it harder to uh, set off again and get to that summit. So you're, you're coming back down, and then you've—I mean, you've, you've got some—you've had you've had to negotiate some pretty tough traffic conditions as well. You know, poor quality roads. You know, drivers who have no idea what you're you're doing, and you're just having to negotiate this. So how are you able to cope with that? Is it just pure adrenaline? keeping you going or are you really about to fall off your bike totally knackered and 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 any any slight mistake and and, and you're you're, you're toast for, for me no uh, i think every ride is different i'm i'm quite good at not getting to that point uh and i tend to have people i tend to have people remarking that i look pretty fresh on the finish line uh i don't um i don't necessarily feel it but um but i don't I don't get to that point where I'm sort of about to fall off my bike and you know, it's, it's not really safe riding in, riding in traffic when you are at that point. Um, because, uh, yeah, your reaction times just start dropping for, for me, um, riding through Naples was difficult at the end, um, and very unpleasant. And 
the, the main way it manifested itself was I had I have very frayed nerves and a very short short fuse. So some some car drivers who pulled out on me uh, got possibly a bit more uh, a bit more of an explosive reaction than they would have been expecting. So just normal for Italy. <laughs> yeah, Naples is is particularly bad. You've got these huge huge uh, sort of pave set stones on the ground, so you're constantly trying not to lose your wheel in the crevices between them and then you've got you've got cars who sort of don't look don't look when pulling out at a roundabout and and you know off a side road and sort of don't don't really treat you as a proper road user so it it can be incredibly difficult dangerous and frustrating at the best of times and yeah at the end of uh 60 plus hours of of near constant riding it's uh it's slightly fraught well we'll get onto your wheels in a second because there's a story (laughs) there Uh, 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 but just describe the last uh few kilometers of the race What, what kind of position were you in you know how far were your rivals behind did you see them going up coming down all that kind of stuff and and at what point did you absolutely know that you because you presumably it was it was at the base of the climb that you knew you were you're probably going to win yeah so uh from from when i uh from when i got up and left the hotel on the um on the second night so at, at that point i'd been riding uh something like um something like 45 50 hours uh non-stop um bearing in mind that we'd got up at 4 a.m on the on the first day as well so ridden all through the first night got to darkness the second night um and that's when i slept at the hotel then um then i caught up with christian who'd who'd briefly passed me whilst i slept and we cycled together up to um there's a huge statue of christ the redeemer above uh, a little town called maratea um and it's the kind of place that you never heard of never seen pictures of but it's absolutely stunning i think it's the second largest um second largest christ the redeemer statue after the one in rio the famous one in rio in the world um so we were we were together for a bit then um and he was riding really strongly and i was looking at him thinking wow you know he's he's still got some legs left on him but then he started to sort of make make mistakes you know missed turns things like that and i could see that the uh the sleep was uh the sleep was really coming for him um so as soon as I, I stopped and took a sort of four minute nap at some point, um, around three or 4am. Uh, and as soon as I'd done that, he stopped and took maybe 45 minutes sleep. And from, from that point, I knew that it was mine to, mine to lose. There was still a lot of hard riding. We, uh, we had this, um, we had this climb called, uh, Monty Jelberson, uh, which no, no one, no one could remember what it was called and, uh, became known as Mel Gibson to, uh, to all of the, all of the riders, but, um, Monty Jelberson, uh, which averaged something over 15%, um, for, or over a thousand meters of climb. It, it was a, it was a really, really brutal climb. One of the hardest climbs I've ever done. Um, so I thought I was going to see him because that was an out and back. And I thought I was going to see him when I, uh, when I descended, um, from that. Um, and sure enough, he, uh, he was there struggling on the way up, but I'd sort of, I'd sort of taken note of roughly where I'd been at what times. And I knew I had about an hour lead on him. Um, so at that point, about an hour lead, something like 
10, 12 hours riding remaining, uh, I, I really knew that I, I should be able to get it in the bag just as long as I could keep moving. Um, and that was that was what it was about for the rest of the day all along the Amalfi Coast, which wasn't too much of a hardship, um, although there were quite a lot of motorbikes on a Sunday evening. Um, and then uh, having having dot watchers coming out to coming out to cheer me on was was a real boost as well. And I even got paparazzoed. There was a uh, there was a there was a cameraman on a on a moped who came and chased me along the Amalfi Coast and was stopping in laybys and taking pictures and things like that. So that sort of kept things interesting. Um, then yeah, the last the last sort of hour or two through through Naples difficult then then up Vesuvius um and yeah but by that time even even if I'd had a pretty bad mechanical I, I knew it was mine um so yeah it was uh it was a great feeling as you say after after three three years I'm I'm the only rider now who's uh who's ridden solo three years um to uh to to get the win it was amazing and let's now talk about your products then because you're talking about your wheels before and how, and how they survived uh, the pave because they're your own wheels and your own brand. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, uh, I I set up um, I set up Zola, which is Z O L A. It's an Italian word. Uh, you should really say Zola, but uh, but in in English it's it's more of a Zola. Um, I set up set up Zola uh, this year because um, I sort of realised that all of the uh, all of the standard carbon road wheels were just aiming to get lighter and lighter and fewer and fewer spokes and it it's really it's really not what you need for endurance um endurance racing uh you know the difference between um 15 15 50 grams and and 14 50 grams is is not great but the difference between 28 and 24 spokes is um so i wanted to build uh i wanted to build wheels that were really really strong um but still gave you 95% of the aerodynamic and weight benefits of, of high quality carbon wheels. Uh, so found a really good, um, really good little hub manufacturer called Trailmec, uh, who are actually based in Ukraine, but they're a, they're a super high quality, um, super high quality manufacturer, uh, been making, been making mountain bike hubs for the Ukrainian national team for a few years now. Um, and their unique thing is their, uh, their ratchet system in their hub, which has almost, almost instant engagement. And it's just super, super, uh, robust. Um, so a, a bit like the sort of, uh, Chris King or, or high end DT Swiss ratchet hubs, but actually with some design improvements in some ways. Um, and then really high quality carbon, uh, carbon rims, Sap MCX race spokes and then all hand built in the UK. Um, and the end result is just, you know, a, a wheel that, you know, you can, you can go through anything, um, on and, uh, two volcano sprints, exactly, exactly the kind of race that, um, that you need that for you, you come across all types of services or all kinds of potholes. Um, but you need to be, you need to be light and fast. But how much of a market? Cause I mean, if you're only selling to, to transcontinental type, riders that's a small market or is that that that's fine to have a niche product for a niche market or as you're saying this is just these are robust wheels that would be good for 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 every day too yeah i mean i I think i think you're right at the at the top end it is it is a niche market um but i i would see that as like the pinnacle of our um 
the pinnacle of the market and and you know if they can survive that then they can also survive that everyday use you know maybe a heavier club rider or even just a club rider who doesn't want to have to uh doesn't want to have to worry about potholes or or that kind of thing um they're they're basically really high quality really high quality wheels and if you want um if you want strong carbon wheels then there aren't that many places to look and how much are they uh so uh, uh uh, all road uh, forty mil wheels are, are nine hundred and fifty pounds, um, which you know let's let's not kid ourselves. It's it's a lot of money, but uh, but actually for the um, for the workmanship that's in them, I, I think that's really really good value. And it's not your only bike product. So you've been doing Orb, um, which which started with I mean this was originally Kickstarter, weren't they? The the so you 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 so describe your your product. So starting off with the the one I first came across you with. So the 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 bottle, the the LED light in a bottle. Yeah, that's right. I've I've been um I've been a cyclist my my whole life, but um but I only got into the bike industry um about uh, about five years ago um when i uh when i started looking for a product that um would give me side visibility in the city i'd almost been knocked off whilst commuting on my bike in london i used to commute every day to and from um to and from westminster um and the number of side swipes i narrowly avoided um was was just getting ridiculous and and i thought you know someone must have made a product which is uh which is Dead simple LED lights in the lid of a of a bottle of, of a bike bike bit on that you can drink from as normal um, would be USB charged and you know I could I could put it on and be safely seen from the side and I, and I looked online just to buy it and it didn't exist and I I just couldn't believe it such a such a simple idea um, there'd been one or two attempts done done before um, I think. I think Topi had done one, but it had watch batteries in, and someone else had done one, and it was basically basically disposable. Once the batteries ran out, you you had to chuck it. Um, and I thought, you know, this can't be the best. This can't be the best we've got. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to make something better. So yeah, um, started started designing the orb, um, which basically has orange LEDs in the lid, uh, and the whole bit on illuminates right um right in the center of your frame in, in the bottle cage uh and not only does it make you really visible from the side but also it highlights that pedaling motion of your legs which um something called biodynamics which basically means that uh the human brain is innately programmed to recognize biological motion so a uh a driver or another road user sees um sees your legs going round and they immediately know what you are. They immediately know that's a bike, that's a cyclist. Um, instead of just seeing, you know, a sort of amorphous light, um, which could be, which could be anything. Mm, and that, that was on Kickstarter. So clearly it must've been successful on Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. We raised, we raised about 20,000 pounds through Kickstarter, um, back in 2017, launched, uh, launched the product, uh, almost on time. We're slightly delayed, but very almost on time a year later. Um, and uh, and we've been selling it since, and, and expanding the brand ever since. We've um, we've released we've released a number of um, number of products since then. We we designed some anti theft lights and, and released them this year. We released a we released a city bike with a with a belt drive. Um, basically, um, the all brand is all about is all about making life easier, more accessible for for. Um, 
urban bike riders or, or not even necessarily urban um, bike riders, uh, but, you know, pe- people who are people who want to get out on their bikes um want want high quality high quality products to make them make them safer more comfortable happier whilst they're doing it i'm looking at a photograph of your bike on 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 the two volcano sprint so i can see that there's two orb bottles on there i'm i'm presuming that the the rear led and the front led which i can't see but there must be one there are yours also and the wheels obviously are yours, but what's, what's the bike? <laughs> the bike is an open mold um, frame that I imported directly uh, from the from the manufacturer out in um, out in Shenzhen um, in in China, uh, and it's it's something that I sort of I feel relatively comfortable doing, uh, being well knowing knowing enough enough about bikes that that I felt I could I could pick a frame that would meet my needs and um, and knowing enough about you know, manufacturers and, and importing that it was it was relatively simple. Um, the rear LED lights, as you say, are our our droid lights. Though the front, which I'm, I'm not sure whether you can see it in the picture, but um, it's a it's a Cinewave beacon light from from the US, which again is a really really small startup company. Um, a guy Dave runs it, um, designed the light himself. He's an electrical engineer. Uh, this is this is a good example, actually. Uh, Carlton of a of a niche product which is you know kind of aimed not quite just for endurance races because it's also bike packing generally but um but the light is uh it, it's a um it's a dynamo light which also uh provides a usb output from the dynamo power on the back of the light but you can also run it from power banks which is what i did for two volcano sprint so it's a it's a kind of niche kind of expensive product but actually if you're if you're racing if you're if you're doing if you're doing certain types of bike packing it's absolutely perfect really fulfills your need and is, is absolutely bulletproof so you're not hooking up to a dynamo ever but it is capable of being dynamo power yeah i i have used dynamos in in races before um but uh but i i didn't in two volcanoes sprint basically i i figured i'd get away with battery packs and it was sort of for, for the amount of power i'd lose uh, with the with the drag of the dynamo it, it was worth it um sort of limiting my electricity use a little bit because that must i mean we were talking about food before being a, a something that's, that's chewing on your brain but also electricity and and the generation of must also be a, a of major concern to 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 hook up the GPS devices for a start, I guess. Your LED lights, you're going to need them if you don't want to die. Uh, and, and you want to be able to see where you're going. But also things like phones. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're only getting one hour of sleep in a hotel over that, that right, how do you physically power the products that you, 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 we, you know, we all rely on? You need your phone. You need, you need the GPS. How are you powering stuff? Yeah, so it's another really important part of the of the balance, and and that's what endurance racing is. I think th- thinking about all of these things at once, um, you know, sleep, power, f- food, um, all that kind of stuff. So uh, basically, um, I have a very uh, USB um, USB charging has come along a, a long way, um, and you can now charge fully charge a 10,000 milliamp hour USB power bank in 90 minutes if you've got if you've got the right power bank and the right charger. So I, I know that 
I know that in my 45 minutes sleep in, in a hotel, I can get oh, basically a whole night's worth of power. Um, so yeah, with that, with that short stop, I had, I had all the power I need, uh, I needed. And I think I carried, um, I carried maybe 35,000 milliamp hours with me. So I'm looking at your bags here and, and you've got, I don't know what the back one is, but the, the, the front pouchy one, uh, slung between the, the frame is an Apidura. What's the, what's the rear one? Uh, it's a, it's a Topeak, um, Topeak bag, about six, six liters, something like that. So in there, you've you, you haven't got any luxuries, but you have got backup batteries. Yes, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, my my frame bag basically has uh, has Haribo, um, a couple of tools, and USB power banks in it, uh, and then the saddle bag has a down jacket, um, waterproof jacket, uh, and that's about it. Um, in uh, plus any extra food I need if I'm if I'm going a long way uh, without without shops. So like emergency energy bars, or would you have just ordinary food in there? I I basically eat uh, I basically eat Haribo during a race, <laughs> or or you know other brands are available. I'm not I'm not that fussy, but for me it's got to be it's got to be nothing too acidic because that starts really sort of not only not only feel like it's removing your tooth enamel but but also building up the acid in your stomach um but other than that so long as it's sort of soft and chewy of some kind um and and made of sugar then uh, then i'll i'll eat it uh, and then the rest of the year do you completely ignore haribo Yes. Yeah. It's it's pretty hard to even see a packet of Haribo after uh, after a race like that. Um, I've I've got a I've got a, a friend who who also races um, these things. He was meant to be at two volcano sprint this year. Robbie Robbie Britton, um, who um, who swears by Mentos. Um, they're something like ninety percent carbohydrate and. Uh, and not only does he eat them all race, just sort of he, he's he's got a he's he's learnt to squeeze an entire packet into his mouth with just sort of a flick of his wrist. But um but you'll also find him eating them year round as well. So not not everyone gets sick of it. Uh, so Andrew, tell tell us where because you've got these two brands are separate. You know the Zola and the the, the Orb are on separate websites. So so tell us where people who, who've been interested and who, who now want to go and. Uh, race between volcanoes in in Italy, uh, and they desperately need these wheels. Where where can they get them, and where can they get orb products? Yeah, so um, the the website for Zola is um, www.zola.cc, and that's Z O L L A. Um, and then uh, and then for orb, it's uh, orb.bike. www.orb.bike. Um, and uh, yeah, the the main sort of. Um, the main, the main products on Orb that I use for endurance racing, I, I do use the Orbs, um, the, the bottles themselves. Uh, they're, they're actually really, um, really good to sort of keep you company at night. You know, it can be can be a lonely place, uh, riding in the middle of nowhere in the in the dark, especially when the nights last thirteen hours, like they like they do in southern Italy in in October. Um, and, and having having that sort of warm orange glow um, down in the middle of your frame is uh, is very comforting actually, uh, and also helps you helps you clip in and out. But anyway, the main the main endurance um, the main sort of endurance product on Orb uh, is is the Droid Rear Light, which um, 
which is is designed for um, designed for city riding. It's it's an anti theft light in that it it clamps to your um, clamps to your rear seat post, uh, but actually it's got a forty hour runtime, so it's it's fantastic for uh, endurance racing, and you can charge it whilst um, whilst you ride. So that's that's the reason. As in, you, you can charge it whilst you use it. Um, so that's the reason I, I race with it, um, and it's also sort of virtually virtually indestructible. So they're they're the two endurance related things I'd, I'd recommend on the Orb site. Thanks to Andrew Phillips of Orb there, and thanks to you for listening to episode two hundred eighty nine of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Have a great Christmas and a wonderful end to twenty twenty one. And that's it for this year. The show will be back in early January twenty. 22. But meanwhile, get out there.